Today we are uh, wrapping up a series, uh, and Mayway's wrapping up, uh, well, this is the last sermon series I'm going to be doing here. Uh, but just before I get to that, I want to answer a question that I've been asked numerous times and kind of just felt like I've been asked this question enough, I should probably answer it for everyone. Uh, a lot of people have asked, like, so you're staying in Brandon, where, where are you going to go to church after this? And to answer that, I want to rewind the clock a little bit. And this year, 22, was supposed to have a sabbatical for me in it. And a sabbatical is a time period where, as uh, pastoral staff and many, some occupations do this, where you get a chunk of time where you get to step back from your ministry duties to be able to try to spend some time doing some, you know, extra professional development, long-range planning, figuring out what's next. And we had delayed that a year so that the sabbatical would happen in 23 when Vicky was here as our chaplaincy intern. And so that's not going to happen now, obviously, but Nikki and I are going to take this time period and kind of call it a sabbatical of sorts. Uh, and we're going to step back uh, we're going to disappear for a little while, and so kind of what I'm saying in this is I don't know exactly what time length this will be, but if you don't see us here, don't be surprised, and if you do see us here, don't be surprised. Grand Valley is where our hearts are. This is the church we want to be part of, uh, but we also know that it's good for the transition, and it's going to be good for us to take a bit of a step away for a little while. So this series, Walking the Path, Reflections on the Journey, I asked this question of what do I want to leave you with as I go? And this isn't to set a direction for what's next and what's coming up, but kind of what have I learned and what have I seen and what do I see that's important um, over my years of ministry here? And when you try to reflect and say, what do you, what do you summarize um, from years of ministry at a church? And you kind of all know I'm a data person, so today is my 348th sermon that I have spoken at this church, not counting weddings and funerals. But there's a common joke that says that every pastor really only has somewhere around three to five sermons. That if you take all those 348 messages, 347 plus this one, and you tally them up and you decide to categorize them together, you'll find three to five themes and that's what you speak. So maybe you could mentally do that work. You could probably figure out what that is. And what I'm going to talk about today is probably one of these three to five. Last week, we talked about looking at Scripture in a new way and having a new understanding and letting ourselves wonder and have imagination as we study Scripture. And that would be one of those three to five. And so today, we're going to be talking about discipleship. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to grow tangibly in our faith, and by definition, a disciple is someone who is learning uh, to grow in the teachings of Jesus and become like Jesus. That's a big part of our faith. We talk about evangelism, we talk about discipleship. We talk about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. A growing relationship is discipleship. And so when we talk about this, we need to recognize something, that discipleship is not a program or a course that can produce a completed disciple. Discipleship isn't something that you can just be like, okay, I'm going to start this path, I'm going to learn these things, now I'm a completed disciple. It doesn't work that way. There's no factory, there's no program. Instead, discipleship is a lifelong journey of constant growth and transformation. It means choosing to be in a life of seeking Jesus and knowing that that means we're going to grow and change through our lives. This isn't something that just we reach a point and we stop. By very definition, to be a disciple means that we are always learning and growing. 
And one of the passages I want to start us off with is in Philippians. And this is one of the letters that Paul is writing to a group of, of believers to encourage them in their faith. And right at the beginning of the letter, he does the typical thing. He introduces, he says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy to the saints in Philippi. And this is the opening words after the greeting of the letter. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. We talked about good news last week and what that meant. Um, From the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's making a promise to them, saying, I know that God is going to keep working in you. God is going to keep drawing you closer to him until it's finally finished, not in this lifetime, not in some point when you reach 40, suddenly you're a fully matured disciple. It doesn't work that way. He says, until Christ Jesus returns. This is a journey that continues until we stand before God. Discipleship means lifelong growth and transformation. Now, anytime we want to make a change in our lives, anytime we want to grow, anytime we want to change, we first have to recognize what it is we want to change. We don't make changes accidentally. We make changes intentionally. We have to understand and know what we're moving forwards to. And so one of the most foundational keys of growing in faith is that growing in our faith requires us to examine and explore our relationship with God. We actually have to look at it and say, where are we at? Where do we want to be? Now, at this moment in the sermon, there's a whole bunch of different directions I could go that would all end up leading back to this point. We could talk about spiritual practices. We could talk about, like last week, we talked about reading the Bible. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about fasting. We could talk about spiritual gifts and serving one another. We could talk about how discipleship is in community. It only happens in relationship. That, yes, there are parts that are contemplative and we do on our own, but the fruit of discipleship happens through communal interaction, through relationships, through talking with people, through life groups, through mentorships. We could talk about each of those Things And those are all parts of discipleship. But in the interest of this not being four hours long, we're going to talk about one. We're going to talk about doubt. When we think about doubt, and we think about doubt being talked about in church, maybe you have a memory of doubt being talked about as like, ooh, that's, that's a bad thing. Don't talk about that. That's not true at all. In fact, Understanding doubt and understanding questions is exactly what it means to examine our relationship with God. If we want to grow in any way, we have to start with our doubts and with our questions. There's a book that came out recently by an author named Brian McLaren. He wrote a book called Faith After Doubt. And likely at some point this year, this would have been a sermon series that I did. So I'm going to jam it all into one today. But I want to start with a quote from Brian McLaren, and he's writing about faith and about doubt and understanding how does this connect together. And he says this early on in the book, he says, the greatest threat to our moral and spiritual health wasn't questions or doubts, but rather dishonesty or pretense about our questions or doubts. What he's saying is that what is a threat to our faith is not doubt at all, but if we are dishonest about our doubts. If we try to shove them away and say, we have no questions, we have no doubts, that is what is dangerous to our spiritual health. 
Instead, we need to embrace and understand this. And this is something that the author of, of the Gospels, they put this right into the Gospels numerous times, and sometimes we miss it. And so last week we talked about how the good news, the gospel, they were borrowing a Roman propaganda term to say, look at this good thing that God has done for you. And at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew writes his account of Jesus' life. At the end of his gospel of Matthew, we have this passage that I've quoted I don't know how many times. I mean, I guess I could, could have done the math, but I'm not going to. Um, Matthew 28, where it's the great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. But right before that, there's two verses we skip over. When we go there and we quote it, we often jump straight to verse 18. But I want to take us to 16 and 17. So what's happened in this moment is that Jesus has risen from the grave. He told his disciples to go to Galilee where they would see him again. And then we get verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. These guys walked with Jesus for three years. They saw everything he did. They heard him promise that he would rise from the grave after he was executed. Then Jesus did it. They see him. They go to him. And it says, and some of them doubted. Now, Matthew is writing to a Jewish community trying to convince them that Jesus really is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Jesus is who their scriptures have foretold. Jesus is God himself come into the world to make a new covenant, a new relationship with humanity. And Matthew includes this detail. But some of them doubted. That's not what you put into what you're writing when you're trying to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, is it? No. But he puts it in because he's making a statement that doubt is part of faith. It is not the enemy of faith, It is not the antithesis of faith. It is part of faith. Jesus' closest friends, some of them doubted, is this really happening? And part of that happens because when God is moving, when God is doing things, sometimes it is so far out of our realm of possibilities and our understanding of what it could be that we can't help but have questions and wonder what could this be. See, having questions and doubts about faith is normal, And so is the tension and uncertainty that comes along with them. There's a famous quote about being a pastor, and I don't know exactly who said it, but it kind of sounds like something Eugene Peterson would have said. And he said that the role of the pastor in their congregation is to make them uncomfortable at a rate they can handle. My role, and I've taken that to heart, my role for the last nine years I've been lead pastor here has been to make you uncomfortable at a rate you can happen, because in that tension is where you'll find growth. In that tension, in that uncertainty, in that weight, did he really just say that about the Bible? Yes, I did. Because I'm trying to build tension, not for tension's sake, but tension for the sake of discipleship. Tension for the sake of saying this is going to lead us to questions, and in the searching for those questions, we will find where God is. And we will see how God reveals himself to us. And so I'm going to take us through the main premise of Faith After Doubt, of Brian McLaren's book for a moment. And what he says is everyone's faith journey 
will often have these stages. And as I go through these stages, I want you to understand this is not prescriptive. I'm not saying you have to categorize yourself as I'm in one of these stages. Think of this as information that maybe at some point in your life you might be like, oh, that's what that was about. This isn't about a goal of saying you need to move from one to the next, but just understanding this is how our human minds work when we're in relationship with the infinite and the wonder of who God is. And so he starts his book with this this four-stage model. And stage one he calls simplicity. Now, simplicity is when we're trying to see our faith and our world in the categories of good and bad and right and wrong. And think about if if you're a parent or, you know, we've all were kids at one point, you know, your parents gave you yes, no answers. Your parents phrased things and categorized things into good and bad. You know, chocolate, good, too much of it, bad. Stove, good, it cooks things. Stove, hot, bad. You know, we teach kids in this way, this dualistic, good, bad, right, wrong mindset. We set the framework, and that's what we do as parents. Our job is to set the framework for how our kids experience the world. And with what the cognitive development level we're at that constantly grows um, until we're about 25, this is what we need. We need this simplistic understanding of the world. Good, bad, right, wrong. But eventually what happens is we start to grow up and we start to see things more complicated. And stage two is this stage called complexity. And it's when we pragmatically are building upon our prior views and we're trying to adopt on information into our understanding of faith. And so what this looks like is, you know, when, you be, you know, when we move from the Bible storybooks and you read the Bible for the first time, and I've, you know, harped on this one a while, but like Noah's Ark is not a children's story at all. It's totally not. Yet we make these cutesy picture books about the animals. We don't include what happened to the rest of the world. But A simplicity is like, look, God saved the animals. Complexity is, wait, did that really have to happen? What what about everyone else? And so when complexity, we start trying to figure out how we fit things together. And last week I used the, the metaphor of a jigsaw puzzle, of trying to figure out how every new piece of information has to snap together and click with the information we already know. And eventually that jigsaw puzzle gets complicated It gets bigger and bigger, and suddenly you start realizing these shapes, like this style of shape doesn't even fit with this. I have no place on my jigsaw puzzle where a piece like this fits anymore. And what often happens is we enter into what McLaren calls the third stage, where he calls it perplexity. And perplexity is this place in our faith when our previous categories start to fail, And we begin this journey of questioning, wondering, critiquing, deconstructing the categories of faith that no longer are helping us grow closer to Christ. We're learning these new things about who God is. We're learning things about our world. We're learning things about our worldview, about what what the church has led to. And we start wondering, what does this mean? How does this work? And this term, deconstruction, I, last year, I did a, a message on this talking about, like, what is deconstruction? And I admitted to you, when I started hearing people talk about deconstruction, I dismissed it because I said, that's just discipleship. The way we understood things starts to break down, and we have to go through a process of examining our beliefs and taking it apart and saying, what is this that's going to help us step forward in who we are? But the, the, 
the problem with this is, is that churches are really good with stage one and stage two. We know how to teach the categories. We know how to teach right and wrong and good and bad. We know how to turn the Bible into a rule book, which is what we talked about last week, that the Bible is really not a rule book. It's not meant to be that. But in this stage, this is when it feels like the foundation is shifting out from underneath you. It feels like the categories we were taught when we were children, they just don't scale up anymore. So what do we do with that? What do we do when we find ourselves in this place of wondering, if we find our place in this? Now, the reality is this isn't something that we choose for ourselves. Rather, this is something that often happens to us. And so a year ago, I said this, this line. I said that entering into deconstruction is rarely an intentional choice on our part. It is a response to our views and beliefs being challenged by Scripture and the world around us. When the way that we saw things starts to break down, where do we go from there? That's what this perplexity stage is about. And some of you may be in this, some of you may be like, yeah, I went through that. And some of you, it's like, no, I've never experienced that. And don't feel like you need to. This isn't really something you can choose and dive headlong into. But stage three gives us a gift. And McLaren talks about this gift this way. He says, for example, stage three offers the, offers the gift of humility. We thought we knew so much in stages one and two, but now we, we get comfortable admitting, I don't know, I'm not sure. With each gain in stage three, knowledge and understanding, the horizon of what remains unknown grows more vast, and with wider unknowing comes deeper humility. A while ago, uh, NASA and a bunch of organizations launched the James Webb um, Space Telescope. Biggest, most complex space telescope we have. Has anyone been seeing the images they've been releasing from this? It's amazing. And every time I look at that, I get struck with this sense of wonder of how little we know. How little we know about our universe. How little we know about what God created. We used Taras is an example right now. Taras is an amazing soil scientist. He knows more about soil than any of us ever will, except for Taras. <laughs> and he was telling me about this study that he did, and he's like, we know what this does, and like, was it 48% of it? Yeah, 48% of it is like, we have no idea where this variation came from. And in that moment is where we find wonder. In that moment when we're faced with, I don't know, you know what you're open to in that moment? You're opening to see God in a way you've never seen God before. See, when we reach this stage three, our tendency, when we're faced with this sense of wonder about the unknown, this wonder about who we're becoming and who God is, when we hit that moment, our tendency is to be scared. Our tendency is to go, whoa, whoa, whoa this is uncomfortable. This is stepping into the unknown. And we want to go back to complexity. We want to go back to simplicity. We may think, man, it was so much easier when I was a teenager, when I was a kid, and they just told me, this is good, this is bad. Why can't the world fit in those categories anymore? And when that happens, we end up stuck in this moment of saying, if I move forward, i got to step into tension. i got to step into uncertainty. i got to step into the unknown. But it's difficult. It's hard. And again, this isn't new. 
This summer we did a series on Galatians, and Galatia was this region of the Roman Empire where there was a group of churches, and this group of churches was in a hot debate over an issue, and they were trying to figure out what do we do about this issue. And Paul, being the one who planted many of these churches, he steps up and he writes a letter. And he writes a letter to them because he can't travel to them because he's already been arrested by the Roman Empire. And the reality is, he could have been let free, but he's kind of manipulating the Roman Empire to get a trip to Rome out of the deal because he wants to get to Rome and encourage the church of Rome. He knows that if if he can build a strong church in Rome, that church can have an amazing impact. So Paul writes this letter, or sorry, yeah, Galatians, not, did I say Philippians? I meant Galatians. And Paul writes this at the conclusion of his letter where he's been addressing these false teachings and addressing all these issues. He says this, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive the faith, the righteousness that God has promised to us. When we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit to being circumcised or uncircumcised. That's the debate they were having. That's the issue they had going on. He says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. He's saying this big problem you've got, this big issue, these false teachers, Paul is saying that doesn't matter. In fact, he says stronger words than that, but for the purpose of the day, we'll leave it there. He says at the end of this, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. So when we enter this perplexity stage, We enter the stage where we get struck by the wonder of like things are bigger, things go farther, things are deeper than what I understood in my previous mindset. We have to come back to what's important. We come back to what matters. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And Brian McLaren describes it this way, and he says what takes us through this time period of perplexity, this time of wondering and uncertainty He says, I have come to see that the still more excellent way of love, he's referencing 1 Corinthians 12 there, he says, as the telos, the the ultimate goal, the ultimate aim of what we're moving towards. He says, as the telos whose gravitational pull has been drawing me first through simplicity, then through complexity, then downward through perplexity, and then deeper still towards an experience that is too profound for words, the experience of harmony. Now, if you're a singer, you know that harmony is this beautiful way that music notes, because of the physics of sound and how our ears work, how the sound all works together and creates a pleasing and beautiful tone to us. Harmony is this fourth stage. It's this journey that begins when God's love invites us to trust him beyond our own understanding. See, stage one and stage two is about our understanding. How do we understand and mentally figure out the world? And I talked about last week, that was my view of Scripture. I have to figure this out. That's why I liked school. That's why, you know, probably had something to do with how I ended up here. Was this desire to know and to understand. And what does God lead me to? And what does God bring that to this point where it's like, oh... I'm not going to understand. See, Proverbs 3. Proverbs, this beautiful book of Hebrew wisdom. Many of it we account and attribute to Solomon. 
Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Now, verses like this can be manipulated. Verses like this can be used to shut down questions. That's not the purpose of this at all. But what we tend to do is we flip this verse around. We say, trust in the Lord based on your understanding. Do not depend on your heart. That's how we tend to view faith when we are deep in a simplicity or complexity place. We say, trust in the Lord with your understanding. You know, we need to have the right arguments for the Bible. We need to have the right arguments for why God exists and why we should love him. But oh no, don't depend on your heart. The heart can lie. Don't depend on your emotions. Don't depend on your wonder. No, this verse says the opposite. Trust in the Lord with your heart. Do not depend on your understanding. What does it mean to trust beyond what we understand? The only way to do that, the only way that I've found to do that, I'll, I'll clarify it that way, the only way to trust God beyond our understanding is to have an understanding and an experience of God's love that takes us past what we can understand with our minds. God's love for us is so deep, God's love for us is so wonderful that we can trust in his love and not have to worry that we don't understand it all. In fact, we have books of doubt in our scriptures. Many of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms of disorientation, Psalms where the psalmist is crying out saying, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. We have the book of Lamentations, which is entirely, God, you have abandoned us. What do we do? Where do we go from here? You have the book of Job, this long prose of Job and his friends arguing about why things have happened to Job. And they're really trying to understand this question, where is God when terrible things happen to us? The entire story of the Israelites being in exile, gaining the promised land, losing the promised land because of their idolatry and their injustice. And then you get the Babylonian exile when the Israelites end up in a foreign nation. They've lost their land. And it's this moment of wondering, when everything has gone wrong, what do we do next? When our understanding of who God is has broken down, where do we go? And that is full and constant and over and over in Scripture. But what do we exalt instead? We exalt like the trust and the strength and like we just have to lean on God. But no, no, we need to explore our doubts because Scripture leads us to exploring our doubts. And so I want to change our understanding of discipleship and say that being a disciple of Jesus means we have to be willing to grow and change as the Holy Spirit is working in us, even when that means the uncomfortable task of exploring our doubts, questions, and preconceived notions about faith. Being a disciple means being willing to explore because no matter what, God's love is bigger than our doubts. So this is what I want to leave you with. And this is what I think Grand Valley has a reputation for in this city. One of the things that I love the most about this community is we're not scared of doubts. We're not scared of questions. 
Being a disciple of Jesus means that we embrace our questions. We trust that God is bigger than our own understanding, and we trust that God is going to reveal himself to us in this process. For some of you, my departure might be leading to a stage of perplexity. My departure might be leading you to ask questions of like, hey, what's it going to be like next Sunday? What, what, what's it going to be when Brian isn't here? The reality is, I, oh, I'm touched that you asked that question. I'd say it's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, what are we going to do as a community of faith? Who are we? I've spoken for a couple years now talking about that the church is not a building, the church is not an event, the church is the people who are gathered for a purpose. And so for all of you, for our board, it's the time to figure out those questions. That's the gift I'm forcing on you. (laughs) I'm not really giving it to you, I'm forcing it on you. This is what happens in churches. Pastors are temporary. They always were. Churches don't belong to the pastor. Grand Valley has never belonged to me. Grand Valley belongs to God. And how you wrestle with these questions, I am going to be amazed to watch, to see what Grand Valley can become. Because one of the parts of going through this perplexity journey and questioning is you start to recognize your own limits pretty well. And when I look at Grand Valley, I also see the places where I was the limiting factor, where my presence, my understanding, maybe my personality, maybe my spiritual giftings prevented Grand Valley from taking paths that it did. I'm not saying that we took a wrong path anywhere, but what I'm saying is that by me stepping out, Grand Valley has an amazing future ahead of it. Grand Valley has always had an amazing future ahead of it. But it's because of you It's because of the people that make up this church. So that's what I want to leave you with. Be disciples. Explore your questions. Look with wonder at what is ahead for you. Because that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm amazed to see what this church will be, what this church is, how you will reveal Jesus to your friends, to your family, to the city. I'm cheering for you. You don't need me. All right, I was told I'm to hand things off to the elders now. (laughs) Well, I remember the first time I heard you speak. Um, it was probably like, what, 10, 11 years ago, and it was uh, using quotes from Lord of the Rings, yeah, <laughs> dropping quotes from Gandalf, it was, uh, anyways, it's just, um, I just, I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm reflecting on is just like your own growth too, and, uh, you know, your, your, your pursuit of learning and uh, just watching you grow as, as a person and as a pastor has been really cool to see. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, had a little thing I just kind of wanted to share. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to sum it all up and, uh, but I think over the years you've been, you know, you've been a constant for, for a lot of us 
in this faith community in, in Grand Valley. Uh, you share God's word each week in a way that's applicable to our lives, no matter where each of us were at in our journey. And uh, you spoke with grace, love, and compassion. You're part of uh, many memories. Many, many uh, baby child dedications. We've had many kids come into this church. Uh, a number of baptisms, some uh, weddings, funerals. It's just uh, you've been a, a huge part of a lot of our lives. Uh, we appreciate that all you've done and your dedication and service. As you start this next chapter, a new career, <laughs> uh, may God bless you and watch over you and your family. Um, congregation all pooled together to get a little something for you. Um, I noticed uh, you can't go to work and trade looking like this. Uh, so, you know, we'll help outfit you with some new clothing and some tools and all that. There's some gift cards in there to help with that. And um, we'll be praying for you. And uh, so we just want to invite uh, your family up and uh, do that. So I'm just no. Oh, yeah. This is my time. All right. Sean to come closer. Josh. We're just going to surround the McNary's right now and um, pray for them and sending them off. Um, if you're new here, you came on a really exciting Sunday, <laughs> close of something and beginning of something else. Um, but right now we just want to honor the McNary family and pray for them. <laughs> and I'm going to try to keep it together because I suck at that. Okay. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are faithful. You've been faithful to this family and this church family. You've held them up on Sundays and seasons where it felt like they didn't have what they needed. And you've done the same for each of us here as we serve and as we volunteer and as we try and be a community together. And we ask your blessing and your descending of them in a good way. Knowing that you go with them as near to them and in their new season as near to Brian and his new career as you were here. And as near to each of us in the coming weeks as you have been in the previous years. We ask for a vision upon their family, how to look on this new season in, in a good and the right way, and a vision for each of us as well as we look to what's next. Bless them, let them know you're near, let their children know you are near, and celebrate with us as we celebrate them today. In Jesus' name we come before you, Father. Amen. <laughs>